joined us. We are so excited here at the church as uh, we get ready for baptisms, and uh, so many are being baptized. We have, we're up to nine right now, and uh, so that's really exciting. God is at work in the church. He is not hindered by COVID. I don't know if you've heard. Um, he is still at work. So we are super excited. A number of years ago, um, you know, before I was a pastor by quite a ways, I had the privilege of being involved in some kids' lives, and it uh, turned into an opportunity uh, where I was asked to be part of a trust. I was asked to be the trustee of a quite large trust, and um, it was a living trust. And this living trust, as I watched how I was taught about it and learned what the wishes of this woman were while she was still alive, she had cancer, and she, her time on earth was... Uh, numbered, and there was a lot of grieving around that, uh, but this was a trust that was going to be a 20-year trust, and um, it was meant to be a blessing, and I took copious notes as I sat at her side and listened to the things that she wanted this money to do, the things that her heart was uh, for this living trust. And I think about that living trust in the context of this passage as we look at the promise that we have in Christ uh, in John chapter 11. Uh, it is... Uh, born from similar circumstances where there's sadness and there's grieving, and it's real, tangible grieving. I won't be there for my sons, but I want them to know what my heart was. I want, them, I want you to know uh, my nieces and nephews and uncles and aunts and kingdom causes. She gave away to uh, ministries, and it was exciting to be the, the one who got to tell people the good news that there is a living trust, and we'll learn some things about living trusts as we go, but I want you to be thinking about that as we look at this passage in John. If you turn with me to John chapter 11, uh, we're going to see that God is, has created for us a living trust like no other, one that only gets better with time, but not fully fulfilled yet. There is a season of waiting as we wait to see this trust uh, unveiled. But God has given us his heart in this trust. So we begin in verse 17, and the passage that I'm preaching on is shorter than that. I'm just doing verses 24 through 27, but I want to read around it so that you understand the context of Jesus talking about what is and what is about to come. In verse 17, it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
I'm sorry, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise on the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? We are going to see that resurrection power does not mean that this life is without mourning. It does not necessarily mean that there's less pain for Christians. When we think about the passage that's so often quoted that we don't grieve as those who have no hope, we might be tempted to believe that somehow that hope anesthetizes us to pain. But I would argue that love actually heightens it. That actually our Lord and Savior suffered pain like no other because he loved. Because he knew. As we look at this second installment of uh, this great inheritance that we have, this glorious inheritance that we have in Christ, it is hopeful. It is joyful. But I want you to know that this discussion on resurrection power is in the context of real suffering, real pain. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. I think of C.S. Lewis and his in the problem of pain, he wrote earlier in his life, and he confessed that I don't really know what I'm talking about. I haven't dealt with a lot of pain. And then later in his life, he wrote A Grief Observed, and what a different work. Because he'd experienced real pain. And he knew what suffering was, and it was preceded by love. As we look at this passage, we understand that this is serious, the, the, the suffering that's happening. Jesus loves Martha, he loves Mary, and he loves Lazarus, and Lazarus has died. We also know that from just before this passage that Jesus actually waited until he died to come and see them so that the glory of God could be revealed in this season of pain. So there's the hard news that the truth is if you love and you care about people, coming along behind that is suffering. There is difficulties in our life. There are hardships. There are loss. There's disappointments. 
I remember early on in my ministry watching someone that I cared about, who I had baptized. I'm in my early 20s, and I watched that person walk away from the Lord, and I actually verbally said to God, did you cause me to love this person just to watch them walk away? Because it's crushing. But Jesus loved, and Jesus was crushed. Why would Jesus weep in verse 35? Well, let's look at the good news and then ask that question at the end. The good news is, is that we are, an inher- we are inheriting and being part of a living trust that Jesus has given us. He's written our names, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, into this trust, and there is a promise like no other. And we see that promise right in the middle of this. In verse 24, after Jesus said, your brother will rise again in verse 23, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha had paid attention enough to Jesus to know that Jesus was going to raise people at the last day, that they were going to get resurrection bodies and they were going to be raised to life and death would not win. She knew that. Then why is she suffering? Why is she mourning? And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, that phrase, the the response that Jesus gives, I am going to show three movements of this living trust. The first is that Jesus provides life over death now. That our resurrection power is for today. And it's evident in this passage as he refers to himself, I am. Well, first of all, I am goes back to Exodus chapter 3. And it is in, in, uh, in, the, in John quoted again and again as the I am sayings, the seven I am sayings that Jesus said in his lifetime. I am the bread of life. And he's referring to God calling himself I am. So Jesus is using the name of God, Yahweh, and he's saying, I am the bread of life, chapter 6, the light of the world, chapter 8, the door and the good shepherd, chapter 10. And here in chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The two that follow, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, and I am the true vine in John 15. In John 11, he says, using this name for God, I am the resurrection and the life and the life. And some might be tempted to think that Jesus is being redundant by saying he's the resurrection and the life. Isn't that the same thing? But actually, the first one talks about the day of resurrection, and the second one talks about the life that he offers to us from the very beginning of when we believe. That we are given life, eternal life, and it will never be taken from us. Death can't take it from us. Suffering can't take it from us. Temptations can't take it from us. Because when it's secured by Jesus Christ for us, it is ours. I am the resurrection and the life. And when he speaks of this life, he's talking about the first phase of this trust. That you are now a child of God who is alive. You once were dead and you're now alive. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me This is the season that we believe and live. The scriptures affirm this. As we look at 
Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The present time, we are raised up with Christ. And there are seasons where we don't feel raised up. There are times when we feel beleaguered and we feel troubled and we feel like doubting and we're not sure why God still has us here and we're not sure what's going on with this world. We thought the world would get better. And the world hasn't. The world is just as messed up as it's always been and yet he leaves us here in this painfully messed up world to love and lose. But he promised us this rich mercy out of his great love with which he loved us when we were dead through our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. It's a glorious moment. It's a Holy Spirit-filling moment. And we have this promise that we are now alive with Christ and resurrection power is playing out in our lives even now. You're already alive. John 5.24 affirms that. Romans 6, 3 through 4 and verse 11 all speak of this life having, been, having died with Christ and now we are alive with Christ. Well, with that trust that I talked about, it paid out over 20 years, but the big payout was at the end. For the beginning, it was kind of, t- I mean, there wasn't, you weren't getting very much. It didn't feel like much. It was just a promise of something. It didn't feel like the world had changed dramatically. It just, but you have faith. We have been written into a living trust by the blood of Jesus Christ, written in his blood, his death, and his resurrection, and we join with him because of the love with which he loved us. He has written us into this trust. When you look at in Christ, that phrase, and you look at passages, and it says who we are right now, in Christ, we are strong, Ephesians 6.10. In Christ, we are encouraged, Philippians 2.1. In Christ, we rejoice, Philippians 3.1. In Christ, we stand firm, 1 Thessalonians 3.8. In Christ, we as a family agree, Philippians 4.2. And maybe we say, well, how could we possibly agree in 2021? That's the blood of Christ. That's the power of living in Christ is that we agree because of Christ, not because we all think the same. This is part of our inheritance. In Christ, we live a godly life, 2 Timothy 3.12. And that godly life we'll look at next week in the sermon where we look at our response to this inheritance now, that we live in light of being written into this family living trust that we are called to live as if this is true. That it changes the way we think. In Christ, we work hard, Romans 16, 12. Do you know that you don't have to work for God without the power of God? Do you know that we have an inheritance that's available to us through the Holy Spirit to do all things in Christ and through Christ? In Christ, we are made confident, Philippians 1, 14. In Christ, we are approved, 
one of my favorites. How hard have you fought for approval and affirmation in your life? And to know that Christ alone has already won your approval and you come into his presence already pleasing to him because of what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. That's your inheritance. Resurrection power, life over death from now on means life over death now. Death does not win now. So why grieve? Why is Jesus weeping? Why is Jesus, if you actually go back and look at that phrase that he was deeply moved in verse 33, that phrase is not, that phrase has anger in it, angst in it, frustration at the shame and the pain that sin has caused and the plight of humanity. He's aching for what we're going through, that it, People are still suffering and suffering seriously. And as he watches his friends suffer, he is not detached and can just say, well, don't you know the theology here? Like that dear friend who comes to your bedside and gives you two verses as if that's supposed to fix everything and walks away. If you don't know this already, two verses probably isn't sufficient to say I love you when someone's suffering. I just gave them the news that should release them. My work is done here. See ya. You have not suffered then. But suffering requires that we lean in and listen and care and cry. Being involved in church equals suffering because we love. We share each other's burdens. We care. And maybe like me, you've thought once or twice, it would be better to not care so much. I need to cover up a little. But that's not the answer. In Christ, we love. In Christ, we suffer. In Christ, we wait for the day when faith will become sight. But for now, I'm here to declare that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your name has been written into a living trust that will be accomplished as sure as Jesus rose from the dead. And the first inheritance that you have are promises in Scripture to come alongside of you in your suffering and in the difficulties of life. And we have each other, the promise of each other, we could spend a sermon on that and beyond. The promise that we have in Christ in a family. Why do we believe in church family? We believe in church family because we believe we are supposed to care. Some people think, I want to be detached and not know anybody. That's safer. It's not safer because you're not about the Lord's business. And that's not safer. It's better to love and to join Christ in what he's doing. Jesus could have, I mean, he knew what was going to happen to Lazarus. He knew what was going to happen this day. Wouldn't have been an easier on Jesus if he didn't get involved with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and he just stayed at a Holiday Inn? Wouldn't it have been easier if he just kept his distance and I'm going to swoop in and I'm going to say some cool words and everybody's going to applaud and then I'm going to take off before I get to know him? Our inheritance is together. This is family. 
One of the things that I took notes on that day when I sat by her bedside, one of the things that was most important to her was that people would stay connected and be family. I don't know why that mattered so much to her, but it matters to God. That we love each other and stand with each other. Life over death now. This is a living trust. In Romans 8, we have this picture of the promise for now. Who shall separate, this is verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. That's, that's how Paul felt. He felt like he was dying that he was spending his life spilling it out for others. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's our inheritance. We are loved children of God on a mission together. And I'm excited I'm on mission with you. Not only life over death now, but life over death soon. The promise of the resurrection. He was on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha alluded to it. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. How many loved ones have we said goodbye to knowing that fact? We'll see you in the resurrection. We'll see you soon. Does it make it easier? Yeah, I, absolutely. Except that we're called to actually really grieve and love. And loving means we miss significantly. A younger version of me thought this fact anesthetized us some. That there should be some joy in a funeral. And there should be heavenly joy in a funeral but jesus wept he's seen the other side he came from heaven he knows how good it's going to be why is he weeping because this life is hard and it is hard to see people suffer and if you're going to join people in suffering it's going to cost you in christ you'll be more than conquerors in the suffering Life over death soon means that the resurrection is sure. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, it is as certain as I am the life. As certain as we feel now some of what God is doing, we feel then, we know then, as sure as his promises are true, that he is going to raise us bodily from the dead and we will be reunited. And by the end of this sermon, you're going to hear where we're going and what that's going to be. It's like beyond compare. And that's the only reason now we can say light and temporary affliction. It doesn't mean it's unimportant. The suffering is real. The resurrection means that Jesus will return with a sudden and a dramatic way. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13 it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. 
For the Lord himself, this is verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who are still alive will be caught up in the air. It's the promise. He's coming. And he's going to take us home. Death doesn't win. The grave doesn't hold us. Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead and showed himself to us, it changed those disciples' lives both now, but so much more as life goes on beyond the grave. They will be resurrected. Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God have made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Verse 2 Peter 3.13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. 1 John 3.2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when it appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Just as we live in Christ now, being in Christ then is the victory. We are tied to his life and we linked to the promise that he bought for us. It was with his blood that he wrote our names in that living trust. And that living trust means that there is a story available to us where we see Jesus face to face, that we are completely known, that he dwells with us and we dwell with him. No more shame and pain. As the sermon series goes on, we will see that when we are resurrected, there is more of the story, and we'll spend some time the week after next looking at that time when Jesus reigns, the millennial reign, and where do we fit into that? We won't get much time because now there are nine people being baptized. So I'm, well, uh, my sermon is going to be the shortest ever. I'm going to say millennial, kingdom, and sit down. So... <laughs> Don't clap too loud. I might go long today. <laughs> death over, life over death soon means he came to save those who eagerly await him, Hebrews 9, 28. James wrote of the, that the coming of the Lord is at hand, that we should live as if it's around the corner. And some of them might raise their hand and say, well, 2,000 years. Well, God's timing is God's timing. He's going to come when he comes. Jesus will come just as it was ordained in the time that he would come. None of us know. But the, the, the inheritance that we have and the document that we know, we're told to live as if it could be today. Are you ready? Are you ready for that great awakening, that moment when we see Jesus? Oh, how we want to be found doing what he's called us to do whatever that is. In 2 Peter 3.10, we see that he comes like a thief in the night. And 1 John 3.2, I just read for you, describes that it will be seeing Jesus and being with Jesus and knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus is the world that we're going to, is the place that we're going to, right here on earth with Christ. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6, if you're taking notes, describes the millennial kingdom. What will follow after the tribulation? Where we will reign with Christ. 
What I want you to know most is that that moment is secured. It's sure. As we look at maybe our last days, and everyone here, if Jesus doesn't return, isn't far off from looking at their last days on this planet. And as we prepare for that, as we think about that, I want you to know about the security that we have in the promise of God. In verse 38 of chapter 8 of Romans, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't miss that this is about love. This is a a document that he's written for us and promised to us. This living trust is a promise of not being separated from his love. And nothing in all of creation, in heaven and earth, and all of the powers and principalities that might align against us, any that would accuse us, if God is for us, who can be against us? There is no one that can bring an accusation against us. Do I still struggle with sin? I do. Do I need to worry about my inheritance? I do not. Because Christ has secured it himself. Life over death soon means that this living trust is a promise that we live in the shadow of. Never forget that Christ is coming. Never live as if this is the best it's going to be. It's not even close. Nothing compared to what God's about to do. Well, I have only had one experience with a living trust where I was the executor. It didn't work out like I would have imagined. I would have imagined that people would rise up in the morning and say, thank you. People don't generally do that. In fact, it didn't take very long before people started thinking it was theirs. The rules of a trust are, I don't know if you know this, but as long as it hasn't been distributed, it's still owned by that person who may have already passed on, and it stays in trust until it's released. And the purpose of that is to protect it, which means if one of the recipients gets sued or goes through something where they could lose that, they can't lose that trust because it's not their money. It's held in living trust. It is certain. It's just for them. But what happened is people start to feel like I should get it now. Give it to me now. I want no pain now. See you raise your hands on that one? <laughs> don't do it. You don't get it yet. I want to get through this without suffering. We have the privilege by God's plan to suffer with him and join him in what he's doing. He is bringing this living trust to other people in our world through us. And when we go through pain, there is the possibility for us to significantly show the power of Christ more than any other time in our lives. I watched my parents go through some difficult times in both childhood and young adulthood. And as I look back at my age, I learned way more from them through difficulty than I ever did through the easy times. Not even close. 
I watched my dad get up and not give up. And it gave me courage to not give up in the face of difficulties. That's just my human father. What did Christ do? Christ laid down his life for you and me. Christ isn't just grieving for what Lazarus has gone through and what Mary and Martha have gone through and the human condition. I don't think so. I think he's on the eve of going to Jerusalem and giving up his life and he's grieving for what sin has cost. It's such a heavy cost. Look at our families. Look at the brokenness around us. Look at our nation. Who can tally up the cost of sin? But there's one who paid for it all. Our living trust is secured and being held for us in heaven. And we haven't seen yet what is about to come. But by faith, we trust the one who who was raised from the dead. We trust his words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he will live. Well, this isn't just the end of the story. When we're raised from the dead, God has plans for us that are so exciting. And um, I, we often talk about this with a high degree of ambiguity. And we don't, have to, we, we don't know the exacts. There's a lot of poetic language, but we know that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We know that a new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and be here. And we know that God will reign alongside of us. We know that the doors will never be closed and that we'll have unhindered access to the living God. We know that they'll be able to eat from the tree of life, and the river of of life will flow right from the throne. We know that there will be no more light, no more night, and no more sleeping, but it'll be day all the time. And we will have the opportunity to be together in a community that we've never experienced, unmarked by division, envy, malice, Unforgiveness, hatred, all of the wounds of society will be gone. And all of the wounds of our heart will be gone. You can trust God with the inheritance. It is life over death forever. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Chapter 21, verses 10 and verses 27. I'll just read those. And please read your inheritance. Have you read the document? Do you know the promise? Verses 10 of the same chapter says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
And verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. And no one who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There it is. The document written in Christ's blood, the Lamb's book of life. Is your name in the book? Are you part of this inheritance? In two weeks, we're going to hear nine people stand up and declare, my name is written in the book of life and I'm rejoicing. I don't know about using a living trust as an example of this. I had my doubts. All of our experiences with living trusts and what that does to family is not necessarily a good memory. But I liked the picture of a living trust. And the difference between what God is doing and what we experience on earth is usually if it's a 20-year trust or a 10-year trust or a 5-year trust, whatever it is, whatever the length of time is, when people get the money, they blow it. And it's spent. This living trust never ends, never diminishes, never tarnished. Every day is new. And our Lord and Savior will be there and he will be our life. He will be our hope. Unhindered relationship with God and with each other. But for now, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We weep. We hurt. We suffer. We love. Don't stop loving. Don't give up on forgiving. Don't harden your heart. Soften your heart and trust Christ. While, it is, while you still today, while you still have a chance, honor Christ, the author of the book of life, the one who purchased your place. My hope is that we don't just live today to survive. We live today to thrive together as the family of God waiting for our Savior's return. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, not one of us can say that you don't understand. You have suffered. Your son has suffered. You have shown compassion. You have forgiven and given to those who can't give in return. I'm sorry for the ways we've been squandering our inheritance today. Sorry for the ways we haven't lived as if we believe you're about to return. Father, I thank you for another day that we can live in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.